If you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One verse for our text, we have other verse we'll look into tonight in the same chapter, but verse 17. Dealing with discontentment. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing. The Holy Spirit is inspiring. Paul, what to write? And the, the Apostle writes this. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. We are privileged to live in a time, I guess it's both good and bad, as the old novel said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It applies to any age. But I don't know when I've ever seen a time, especially in our in our nation, we've had more than we've ever had and been less contented. Never satisfied. The one who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him at all, you know that he was a man who suffered a lot for his stand for Christ. He was a one, a man who went without the comfort of life. And a few months ago, Jeremy and I were talking about some of the things Paul shared he went through. But I want you to realize he suffered more than most of us could ever imagine. And he did it for the cause of Christ. And yet when Paul wrote the church at Philippi, he said, I've learned that no matter what my state, what situation is, I have learned to be content. Wow, what a testimony. I have learned to be content. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we should be content with what we have. What a great way to live. Content with what we have. But it's true not only in our world, but I think among Christians as well. For the most part, we continue to seek after more things of this world. And so many people continue to seek after those things. And they never come to a place in their life where they're contented with what they have. I mentioned already several weeks ago we started this series on discontentment. It's been a problem for years, centuries, almost from the beginning. Those that were not happy with their situation in life. And it goes on today. In chapter 3 of Genesis, sin comes into the garden. Satan begins to sow seeds of discontentment. And they take root and they grow. And all of a sudden, there's a harvest of disobedience. Not being content with what God had given them. Because they were discontented in that situation, hear me well, they lost paradise. They were driven out of the garden. 
and into the entrance of an evil, wicked world. And so, as most stories would say, they didn't live happily ever after. In fact, it was just the opposite. And after the sin in the garden, mankind has never, ever been fully satisfied with anything on this earth. Thousands of years have come and gone. For the most part, (laughs) we still want something different. My brother worked for me, worked for him for several years, and uh, oftentimes I would, he would say something. I'd always tell him, I said, "Well, you know me. If you said red, I'd want blue." Kind of joking in a way, but truth is, how we live our lives sometimes. We're just not contented. And I guess the reality is, this is not unusual. Because we were born discontented. We came to this world that way. But sadly, too many stay that way for the rest of their lives. What a miserable way to live. I mentioned also a week or two ago that certainly some amount of discontentment is okay. It's not wrong to have dreams about a better life. Uh, Not wrong to have dreams about what the future might hold for us. And the right kind of discontentment brings a hope for something better. It's what drives us towards and keeps us working, inventing, if you will, striving, creating, innovating. And that's the right kind of discontentment. But there's a kind of discontentment that always leads in the wrong direction. Always. So begin dealing with this question a couple of weeks ago. So how do we overcome this situation? How do we overcome discontentment? And the longer I serve Christ, the more I realize how true this is. Whatever is wrong in our life, whatever our outlook is when it's wrong, it's almost always because of wrong, bad theology. Now don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because sin always finds its beginning from wrong thinking about God, wrong thinking about ourselves, and wrong thinking about life in general. Now, by the way, remember in the garden, Satan comes along and he convinces Eve that God is holding something back. God is not as good as Eve thinks he is. Then all of a sudden she gets a different view about God, a wrong view about God, a wrong view about herself, and a wrong view about life in general. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think has some great helpful insights about discontentment, even though you won't see the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there are four principles we want to draw from our text tonight. And Paul gives us, I think, some wonderful teaching on these topics 
that apply to the direct question of contentment versus discontentment. The first principle we looked at last week, we're just going to touch on it and move on. Number one, in verses 17 through 24, we are where we are because God put us there. Do we understand that? We are where we are by God's assignment. Now, again, in those three or four verses, Paul mentions that principle three times. Verse 17, so let him walk. Verse 20, let every man abide. Verse 24, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So we need to be content with the life that God assigns us even when we don't understand. That's principle number one. Now in our text, we're not going to go back through it again. Uh, one of the issues, or two of the issues of that day was circumcision and slavery. Paul gives those two examples. It doesn't matter who you are, what your situation is. The important thing is knowing Jesus Christ is more important than anything else in life. More important than anything else. In that case, whether you were circumcised or you had slaves or you were a slave, Paul said it doesn't matter. The most important thing is Jesus Christ. And so Paul says no matter what your situation is like, no matter how easy it is, no matter how difficult it is, don't let that be an excuse not to serve the Lord. Don't let it do that. So again, the issue is God, not our circumstances. So number one, we are where we are because God put us there. Number two, change is not wrong necessarily, but it's not always an improvement. Have you ever thought the grass on the other side was greener? And you get over there and you find out you can't even eat the stuff. It's not always greener. Go to verse 25, 1 Corinthians 7. Let's read down to verse 28. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. As one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Are thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. Paul says, but I spare you. One thing that jumps out to me there in verse 26. Paul makes a statement there about the present distress. The present distress. Now, it's interesting. Paul says, because of the present distress, my advice to you, if you're single... Don't seek a spouse. Don't try to get married. If you're married, stay where you are. 
It's interesting there in verse 25, it begins with now concerning virgin, unmarried women, young women, if you will. Indicates that Paul is addressing a question that some in the church of Corinth were concerned about. In that culture, a young woman's parents usually would make the decision about whether or not their daughter would marry. Now remember, a lot of people, most who Paul are writing to are new Christians. Some are, are Gentiles, some are, are Jews, we know that. So evidently some had written to Paul and said, what kind of decisions should we make concerning our unmarried daughters? So Paul deals with that issue. Now, it's interesting. Paul says, I don't have a specific, clear-cut command from the Lord on that subject. In other words, I don't have a direct teaching from Jesus to draw from. Now, don't, don't take that and throw this out then, because it doesn't mean it's any less inspired. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I offer this advice because I know that because of the Lord's kindness, He has given me wisdom that can be trusted. He has given me wisdom that can be trusted. So when they ask questions like this, Paul says, I can share a wisdom that God has given me in this situation. And so he advises the young women to remain as they were. Stay unmarried. And he reasoned, because of the present distress, it would be a lot easier <clears throat> on them. Now, like a lot of things in the Bible, Paul doesn't clarify exactly what the present distress he was talking about. Some believe that he may have been talking about uh, the soon return to the Lord, the troubles and tribulations and the calamities that would take place before Jesus returned again. That's a possibility. But most theologians believe that Paul understood that shortly there would be extreme persecution against the government from the government against Christians. And by the way, how many know Paul was already experiencing that to a degree? And so he gives a sort of a practical advice, if you will, because being unmarried, Paul says, would mean less suffering and more freedom to spend your life for the cause of Christ without any distractions. So, he says, look, consider the times and we are living in. Not easy times. They are tough times, distressful times, Paul says. And so Paul says, understand how to follow the will of God for them, even in their unmarried state. Paul says, if you're not married, stay that way. Now again, the Bible doesn't give us all the particulars here. But I think it's important to understand the advice is clear 
don't make any drastic changes. Don't do that. Stay as you are. Stay as you are. <laughs> Let me give you a good principle. When the seas are raging, don't jump out of the boat. We built our first house back in 1986, I think it was, for ourselves. And, uh, of course, a vacant lot. I don't think we even had any trees. And the code requires you put a temporary pole out there to put a meter on so you can have electricity. And on that pole, you have to put at the address where you're at. And, of course, they tell you how they want it, all the particulars. And so we were out there. Uh, I think Pam and the boys were with, with us, with me. And, and I had my ladder leaning against that pole. Now, remember, you know, I'm not afraid of heights. I don't care how high I go as long as one foot is on the ground. <laughs> anyway, I stole that from my dad, by the way. That's how he, how he believes, too. Anyhow, that pole wasn't very high to normal people, more or less to me. And, I, and we just set it in the, in the we, we, we had it, I don't know, a couple of feet deep, whatever. And I leaned my ladder against it, not realizing as I climbed up that ladder, that pole moved a little bit. Now, it couldn't have fallen, but I didn't think about that. I jumped. It wasn't a good jump. So, when the sea is raging, stay in the boat. Don't jump ship. Stay the course. So Paul said, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. But then he gets practical and he says, but also understand, if you decide to go ahead and marry, it's not sinning. You're not, you're not sinned against God. Um, not at all. But Paul says, you need to understand, in light of the present distress, those who do marry are going to face a lot more troubles in this life. And Paul says, I'm just trying to spare you from those troubles you'll face being married in this culture. Now, by the way, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. Life has enough difficulties. It will return. And in this first century Roman world, one of the difficulties was going to be the persecution of Christians. And Paul says, understand, we're living in a present distress. And here's what Paul is basically saying. I want you to live your life in such a way that if you have to, if push comes to shove, you can let go of everything in your life and remain faithful to God. Remember, the issue is God. And Paul said, to, in order to do that, it would be a lot easier without the attachment of marriage. And that's why he said to the unmarried, it's better if you stay that way. But if you choose to marry, it won't be wrong. So stay as you are. Especially if you're single, don't feel it's absolutely necessary to marry. 
But if you marry, you're not sinning. If you want to be married, here's a good uh, advice. If you can find someone to marry you, that's pretty good advice, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Now, by the way, the Bible is very clear. If you're a believer, guess who you're supposed to marry? A believer. Amen. Don't give me your excuses. Don't tell me how it worked out. If you say it didn't happen, there are, those are rare occasions. The biblical principle is a Christian is to marry a Christian. End of story on that one, all right? So that's not wrong. Go ahead and get married. But Paul said, now look, let's get, let's come down to earth here for a minute. Don't be so starry-eyed that you enter marriage with your eyes closed. One preacher said that one wedding he did, later on, this man came to the pastor and said, hey, they told me love was blind, but I didn't know marriage was an eye-opener. Isn't that true? I think he was right about that. So Paul says, don't think marriage will make you happy. Don't think marriage will solve your problems. Don't think marriage will draw you closer to God. Don't think that marriage will make you a better person. And don't think that marriage will fulfill your dreams because it won't because it can't. Now remember, I've learned a long time ago, if we are not content with what we have, we'll never be content with what we get. So Paul says, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, we're not going to cut the verse, but marriage without a doubt is good and it's noble. There's nothing wrong with that. It's honorable. But Paul says, understand marriage is not to be the all and end all of life. Nothing wrong with it. But Paul said, don't lose your perspective here. Now, by the way, if you're miserable being single, stay single. Amen. Because you'll not be happy getting married, and you'll just make somebody else miserable, right? So we need to understand that. And, then, and again, there's always exceptions to the rule, and I realize that. But most of the time, those who are the happiest married people were happy when they were single. They were satisfied either way. So changing your marital status doesn't guarantee a change in your happiness. Doesn't guarantee you'll be more contented. Doesn't guarantee you'll be more satisfied. And I want to say this tonight. Discontented singles aren't usually the best candidates for marriage. Please understand that. It's not wrong to change. But change may not always be better. So number one, we are here where we are by God's assignment. Number two, change is not wrong. It doesn't always improve your situation. Number three, we've got to remember we're strangers in this world. We're pilgrims. We are pilgrims. Go to verse 29, 1 Corinthians 7. But this I say, brethren, 
The time is short. It remaineth that both they which have wives be as though they have none. And they that weep as though they weep not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passes away. Paul spoke about distressing times. Another key phrase in verse 29, Paul says, time is short. So he challenges us to think about this. To look at life and realize that the time we have left remains very short. We had a lady visit here this morning, and I thought I recognized her face, and I realized now I probably didn't, but she looked familiar to me. And so I went up to her, and I said, ma'am, I said, you look familiar. I have no idea who you are. And she said, uh, I visited here one other time about 10 years ago. And she said, well, how long have you been here? I said, over 30 years. You hear me, Paul? Over 30 years, okay. <laughs> and she said, well, the last time I was here, your hair was darker. Can you believe she said that to me? <laughs> Out of your right, I think the light was, you know, too bright or something. But it, another reminder, time is short. Again, in this particular circumstance, Paul is probably thinking about the persecution that was coming and how it would certainly begin to hinder their witness to share the gospel of Christ. And and so Paul talks about marriage here. He talks about the home or financial security. And he says, look, don't regard your marriage don't regard your, your home, don't regard your financial security as the ultimate goals of life. Paul says, that's a wrong perspective. And, and Paul says, look, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your circumstances are, live your life unhindered by the cares of this world. So Paul says if you stay single, it'll, it'll keep you from getting involved with mortgages and budgets and investments or debts. And Paul says because those things are going to end up hindering you from doing the work that God wants you to do in the way that God wants you to do it. So Paul says the problem is when you get married, he said, there's nothing wrong with getting married. But when you get married, you have more earthly responsibilities to take care of. But Paul said, whatever you do, if you get married, do everything you can within your power to make those things modest and make them manageable. You must live for the Lord even when you're married. Now, keep in mind, Paul said, if life brings you happiness, if life brings you sadness, If life brings you wealth, Paul says, don't get caught up in any of it. Don't let it bind your life up. 
keep your life involved in doing the Word of God. A second phrase in this text in verse 31, Paul says the world is passing away. Think about that. Number one, time is short. Number two, the world is passing away. Now, by the way, as a child of God, we need to live our lives detached from this world. Think about that. My first pastor used to say, don't drive your tent pegs too deep. Amen. We're just passing through. And those who have been blessed with the good things of this world, Paul says, make good use of them without becoming attached to them. Don't let them control your life. And a great principle here tonight is the fact that material blessings can be used to serve the Lord. And they ought to be used to serve and to further God's kingdom. So those who have been blessed, believers who have been blessed with material wealth, must always remember God blesses us that we might bless other people. That's what it's all about. So Paul says, whatever you do, don't become attached to this life as if this is all there is. And by the way, my friend, if this is all there is, I'm disappointed. Right? So Paul says, don't get attached to anything in this life. No matter what it is, as though it's all there is. Because Paul said, if you get attached to that, well, you've forgotten a great principle. This world and everything in it is passing away. It is passing away. So Paul says time is short. The world is passing away. So what do you do? Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry said it well. He says that we should live with holy indifference to the things of the world. If I've got it, fine. If I don't, it's okay, too. I think there are five principles from verses 29 to 31. The first one concerns intimate relationship. Look at verse 29. Paul says, They that have wives be as though they had none. Now, that doesn't mean you treat your wife badly or indifferently. It doesn't mean you ignore your wife. But it means don't make your marriage the most important thing in your life. Make sure you don't allow the fact that you're married to keep you from doing God's work while you live here on earth. So we deal with intimate relationships. The second thing in verse 30 talks about afflictions. Paul said, if you're weeping, be as though they weep not. So the bottom line is, if life brings you happiness, if life brings you sadness, if life brings you wealth, Paul says, don't get bound up in any of it. Don't let it be your reason for living. Paul says, 
none of those situations, and all of them together, should never hinder us from doing the work of our God. So he talks about our relationships, our affliction, but he also talks about, in verse 30, our pleasures. They that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. Now again, Paul is not saying that we shouldn't weep. He's not saying that we should not rejoice and enjoy life. But he says this, life is more than sorrow or joy. It's much more than that. And we cannot allow our, our lives to be bound up and hindered by anything that comes along our way that keeps us from serving God the way God wants us to. And then he addresses our wealth. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 30. They that buy as though they possess not. Now notice in each of these things, Paul didn't say it was wrong to get married. He didn't say it was wrong to weep. He didn't say it was wrong to rejoice. And he doesn't say it's wrong to buy. But again, the whole point is don't allow any of these things to hinder your walk with God. Simply don't do that. And then he talks about earthly concerns. Look at verse 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. So what's Paul saying? Paul says use this world. By the way, who did God create the world for? For us. With the crowning glory of creation. So Paul says, use this world. Enjoy this world. Live in the world. Work in the world. Buy and sell in the world. But don't let this world rule your life. Be careful, Paul says, about the things you possess, and whatever you do, don't let them possess you. That's the key. And that's the key to being contented. So the message in this middle section of 1 Corinthians 7 is clear. We are not going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. So Paul says, enjoy life, married or single, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. Enjoy life. Live life to its fullest. Take advantage of every moment, but don't indulge yourself so much that you lose your focus on what really matters. And my friend, what really matters is serving God. It's serving God. And we have to understand, as children of God, we will never be contented until we make serving God the highest priority of our life. doesn't mean you can't do these other things, but don't let them rule your life. Let me ask a rhetorical question tonight. Have you ever been preoccupied? Hmm? I've got to watch myself every morning when I'm doing my Bible reading. 
to make sure my mind is focused on what I'm reading. Because it's so easy to be preoccupied. And it's true in a lot of areas of our life. And so I think the message tonight is don't be preoccupied. Don't be preoccupied. Don't be bound up in things that really don't matter. Matter for eternity. Figure out what matters in life. Paul didn't condemn that. And then go do it. And uh, <clears throat> as you go, it might do good to sing to yourself, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We are strangers and we're pilgrims. We've got a heavenly home laid up for us in heaven. And that needs to be the highest priority of our life. And if we'll understand these principles, nothing wrong with those things, but don't let them control your life. Let's stand together. Anna, Nate, take note of the time. Nate, I got done early tonight. So we'll look out next week. Folks, God is so good. Thank you so much for coming back tonight.